0: Welcome back to the DealMakers Podcast Show with serial entrepreneur Alejandro Cremades, best-selling author of The Art of Startup Fundraising and co-founder at Panthera Advisors. In this podcast, we ask our guests about their successful acquisitions and financing rounds. Alrighty, Hello, everyone, and welcome to the DealMakers Show. So today we have a very exciting founder, a founder that has been pushing his business for over 16 years now, you know, incredible impact that he's had. Uh, And uh, we're going to be talking about all good stuff, you know, like, for example, finding your customer first, figuring out the product market fit, then also having an impact, you know, with what you're doing. I mean, in their case, they have invested 400 million into many, 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 many areas that they have produced an incredible impact with 2,000 employees, 142 branches, and on and on. So Without further ado, let's welcome our guest today, Arun Kumar Patma Naban. Welcome to the show. Yeah, hi. Yeah, very nice to be here. Originally born in Chennai, south of India. So give us a walk through memory lane. How was life growing up? Yeah, Chennai is a pretty traditional city.
1: And I come from a very uh, traditional Indian family, uh, very conservative. My uh, father worked in financial services. My mother was mostly a homemaker. Uh, and, uh, you know, we are very uh, religious uh, uh, family, uh, traditional Hindu family. Yeah. So that uh, and my school uh, focused uh, very heavily on academics, uh, less on sports and extracurriculars. Uh, so, yeah, so pretty uh, standard uh, upbringing in a South Indian traditional family. Uh, I went, uh, to, you know, I did my entire schooling and my uh, uh, college undergraduation uh, in Chennai uh, uh, before moving to a city called Pune in Western India to do law. So I qualified as a lawyer, uh, uh, you know, after graduating in in Chennai. Yeah.
0: Now, in your case, you know, like, why law out of all things?
1: My goal was to work in uh, corporate and commercial law uh, and in banking. That's the intent with which I I started, uh, I, I mean, pursuing law as a career. Uh, And I knew at that point that I would want to do something in financial services, uh, entrepreneurial at some point. And uh, I thought banking would be a doorway to do that. Uh, And, and, you know, I saw uh, law and corporate commercial banking law as a doorway to uh, entering uh, uh, banking. Yeah.
0: Now, talk to us about that uh, shift that happened, you know, because directly you joined a bank, you know, and you were there for a few years, you know, for about six years. Uh, But how did the opportunity of the bank come about? You know, because it's a little bit different from, you know, the traditional path that a lawyer, you know, would follow of joining a law firm or opening your own practice. So how did the whole opportunity of the bank, you know, come come knocking? Yeah, so uh,
1: while I was uh, uh, studying law, I pursued an internship uh, specifically in the bank because it was my intention to, uh, you know, um, you know, work in financial services, uh, and you know I went and did an internship uh, on my final year of law in a bank, and and I got a pre-placement offer from them, and I, I joined them soon after I graduated. Yeah, that,
0: that's how I started working in the bank, and you were there for about six years. Yeah,
1: yeah, and and uh, in the six years uh, I had I had great exposure. Uh, In that bank, it is uh, uh, India's largest private sector bank at that point. And, uh, uh, you know, I was part of a core team uh, of that bank uh, that set up international banking for that bank. So it had this bank, uh, which is called ICICI Bank, at that point had only operations in India. And uh, uh, in 2002, they decided that they should uh, go global. Uh, and I was part of the team that set up international banking for them. So my work was to be part of, uh, that team and I was providing legal support. So, which means I was, I was, I went to many countries, uh, and, you know, uh, figured out what is the best, uh, strategy for this bank in that country. Um, uh, you know, in some countries, uh, you know, we set up a wholesale bank in some countries we set up a consumer bank in some countries we, uh, set up, uh, uh you know, a wealth management business. Uh, so depending on on what would, uh, uh, you know, the local laws and licenses would permit for us and, uh, you know, what type of strategic fit we saw, we set up different businesses in different countries. It was It is a business that grew from uh, zero to $5 billion in the uh, five years that I was associated with it. Uh, so it was quite exciting uh, to see that growth. Um, and this is what happened between, uh, you know, 2002 and 2007. Uh, you know, during the time
0: that I was on this bank. Yeah. So the, the whole social economic, you know, or the social developmental, you know, type of sector, you know, how did you start to create that interest towards it? Because that obviously resulted in a, in a meeting with the uh, Susan and Ma- Michael Dell Foundation, which was pivotal for you. But how did you start to really develop that, uh, that interest around the area?
1: Well, while I was working in this bank, I was also volunteering with a few non-profit organizations in Mumbai. Uh, While I was based in Mumbai and I used to travel international a lot. And I was, uh, you know, volunteering with an organization called Aid India, which had chapter in Mumbai. And it also had chapter in many other countries. Uh, uh, You know, it was basically a student's organization of Indian expatriate students. Uh, Students from India who went abroad to study had formed this organization to help uh, grassroots uh, movements in india and uh, do uh, you know to help uh, low income communities in india so this was the purpose of that organization i was a volunteer with that organization based in mumbai and i had worked with uh, 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 with them uh, you know in slums in mumbai so i had some exposure to uh, slum communities in mumbai and i understood the way of life some of the challenges that they face uh, and i was only a volunteer really i didn't do a lot of uh, you know very active work But in 2005 in Mumbai, there were huge floods that happened because of, uh, you know, very massive rains. I was was part of relief and rehabilitation work in slums in Mumbai. And somewhere between 2005 and 2006, as I was involved in all of this, uh, I started feeling the need to try and make that part of my career in some way. And I was very dissatisfied because, you know, my volunteering work was uh, impacted because of my work and travel. And I was not very happy with, uh, uh, you know, with, uh, with, with. What I was be able to accomplish, uh, and somewhere I started feeling if there was an opportunity to do that as a full time career, that would be good. But then my background was financial services, and I was always thinking in terms of you know being in banking, uh, all or you know uh, as a career. So somewhere I thought uh, if there's an opportunity to work in an entrepreneurial initiative that will involve financial services associated with uh, uh, you know low income population, that might all bring various things that I uh, that uh, together. Uh, to, uh, you know, uh, motivate me. So it was at this stage that uh, I started exploring an entrepreneurial initiative in uh, uh, in social development space in general. And the first person that I met was someone from the Michael and Susan Dell Foundation who said that if I were to set up a microfinance company that would work in slums in Mumbai, then they were willing to provide a small grant support to it. Uh, so I, that sounded exactly like what I should be doing because it was it aligned with uh, you know my priorities of being in financial services, being in banking, uh, and also you know working with uh, low income communities. All of these things came together in that uh, proposal, and so uh, I took that opportunity uh, and and started uh, this company called Swasti, along with my partner, uh, you know Narayanan. So the two of us are co-founders of this company, and uh, we set up Swasti. Uh, you know, after I left the bank in 2007, it took me a year to set it up, and we started lending uh, in 2008.
0: What were the uh, What were the early days like? Uh, right at the beginning, uh, uh,
1: we started this as a not-for-profit initiative, uh, simply because we did not have the minimum capital that's required to set up a regulated financial institution uh, to do this business uh, as a commercial or a for-profit initiative. Uh, so, uh, so our strategy was to uh, demonstrate that this is a viable business opportunity. That is, microfinance in urban slums in Mumbai, particularly. We wanted to establish that this is a viable business, uh, and uh, and and we we decided to do it in a nonprofit framework, and and set it up to a certain size and scale, uh, and and that's exactly what we did between 2008 and 2010. It took us about uh, close to two years to to build a small portfolio and to demonstrate that this is indeed working. That uh, it is it is viable that the people who are borrowing are indeed repaying. We had a hundred percent repayment record during this period. We built a very small portfolio of about uh, something in the range of about two hundred, two hundred fifty thousand uh, uh, dollars, touching about uh, close to uh, you know three thousand borrowers. And as we did that, uh, you know we were able to uh, go to uh, commercial private uh, private equity or financial capital investors and prove to them. That this model indeed works, and we are capable of scaling it up. Uh, and we also built the base technology for this business ground up, uh, and uh, and built a, ba- a team. Uh, so using this team and the technology and the and the sort of uh, incubation uh, 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 accomplishment of about roughly two hundred fifty thousand dollars of portfolio, we we prospected and raised commercial capital for this business and made it into a for profit business in the year two thousand ten.
0: How difficult is it to uh, go from a non-for-profit to a for-profit? How difficult is that transition?
1: For us, the transition was easy simply because this is what we had planned for. You know, it was fairly straightforward because once we had commitment from investors that they would invest into the for-profit business, then all we had to do was uh, we we created an entity, um, you know, and got a license. Effectively, we acquired an entity with a license and we moved the non-profit business into the for-profit business and that was a fairly quick process it just took it took about 5 6 months overall but once we had the commitments from the investors uh, it is just a matter of uh, you know routine uh, transition so that transition itself was quite simple and anyway it was always our intention to set up a large scalable sustainable profitable and high impact company this is what our goal was so right from the beginning so it was just a step in that path
0: hey guys so pardon the interruption here so i got to tell you that with that being said, if you would like to find out more, feel free to send me an email at Alejandro at and we would love to take a look at helping you out. So for the people that are listening to Get It, what ended up being the business model of Zvasti? How do you guys make money? So what we do
1: is uh, uh, basically we borrow money from banks and institutions uh, in India and abroad and uh, we also use our own capital so we raise capital based on the capital we borrow money and using this pool of resources we lend uh, and our, uh, we lend to only women uh, who are in the low income segment in india so typically our customer is somebody who has a monthly income uh, that could range from about uh, i would say about 125 dollars to 400 dollars this is the broad range, I would say. Uh, our uh, We are servicing a customer whose household income is in the range of $125 to $400. Uh, and and what we are doing is we are giving them loans. Uh, these are women entrepreneurs who are running some small business uh, that is giving them an income of $125 to $400 in that range. And what we are doing is we are providing working capital financing, or we are providing uh, uh you know financing which they use uh you know to to build something um, you know for associated with their business uh more than 90% of our loans go to uh, uh you know for uh, business purposes some sort of business or commercial activity that they are running uh and we typically have repeat borrowers so once we make a loan to a woman uh you know she then uh, uh you know would would repay that loan in a period of 12 to 24 months so typically our Loan duration is 12 to 12 to 24 months. And in this time, uh, she's taken the loan from us and she starts paying us back in EMIs, Equated Monthly Installments. Uh, we do either weekly collection or monthly collection. So some of them are paying us every week. Some of them are paying us every month. And in a period of 12 to 24 months, their loan is finished. And then uh, a good number of them then come and take a second loan from us. Uh, so we have a you know 70% plus renewal rate. Um, um and and so on and so forth so this is what we do and to the woman herself uh this loan is completely unsecured so there is no security but we encourage her to form a group of typically five women who come together and uh, uh they are they, these ladies know each other quite well uh so and they are so they know and they are neighbors they live near each other and uh, they they are aware of what's going on in each other's house and each other's businesses because they are also friends and neighbors And they are willing to guarantee each other. So, because we don't have any collateral or security from them, uh, and we, and this is also a segment where it's very difficult to very perfectly assess the income uh, of these households because largely it's undocumented income. They are all earning in cash and spending in cash. Uh, But even if you can assess that income quite accurately, it's like I said, it's a small uh, income—one twenty-five to four hundred dollars—and and typically uh you know it's it uh, the model involves uh, five of them guaranteeing each other and giving us the assurance that if one of them is not able to repay the other four will support and and and, and pay her installments uh and with the support of this credit guarantee uh, and a mutual guarantee of these five women we make a loan to each of them our average loan uh, amount is is about uh, uh is currently about uh, i'm just doing the math in my head uh 100 dollars it's about 500 dollars yeah, we lend about $500 to each woman. Uh, that's the average uh, loan that we make. So the range of the loan varies from $500 to about $1,200 per woman. Uh, so five of them come together and take this loan and then they repay uh, over 12 to 24 months. And at the end of this uh, tenure, after they fully repay, they can come and they are eligible to take a higher loan. So the, the people who have taken $500, the next loan, they can take $700 uh, and so on and so forth. So this is the essence of our model. So the the income that we uh, we make is the interest difference between our borrowing rate and the lending rate. So this is the difference, uh, uh, the income that we make. And uh, this income has to go towards meeting all our expenses because it's a very people-intensive business because the process of assessing the income and uh, running the operations, uh, you know, of course, there's a very strong technology element to it, uh, but equally there is a people element to it. So the cost of the people, the infrastructure, the technology, all of that is part of our operating expenses, which has to be funded by the income that we make. And apart from that, there are some amount of credit losses, loan losses, uh, which also we have to fund uh, using the income that we make. Uh, so broadly, uh, you know, and of course we have to pay our our lenders, whoever pay us. So basically, you know, the income that we make goes to uh, repay our lenders, it meets our operating expenses uh, and covers the losses. That we make credit costs, and on top of it, we make some profit. So that's broadly the model. But not only this, we also provide other financial services to the women. Uh, what we, do, we we one of the services we provide is uh, is a medical insurance uh, facility. So this is also a segment where which is very vulnerable to uh, you know medical emergencies, and uh, the cost of uh, uh, meeting a medical emergency you know is, is quite high for them. Uh, Because, you know, they are running daily businesses. You imagine, you know, if one day they are not opening their shop and running that business, they don't have income for that day. Uh, So they don't have, you know, uh, any social security or any other support system. So if somebody is sick and they have to be medically uh, hospitalized uh, for that many days, of course, they have to suffer the medical expenses. Also, the business doesn't run uh uh the, if a key earning member is incapacitated the business doesn't run and the house doesn't make any income so we have a, a medical insurance that we provide for a small fee we uh, insurance premium we uh, we provide them what is called a hospice cash coverage uh, uh which gives them a daily income support or something like 3000 rupees in indian terms which is about uh say 40 dollars uh of per day of hospitalization if somebody is in the hospital for four or five days Then, uh, you know, 40 into five, say $200 is paid to them, uh, which supports them, uh, you know, through the days that
0: they are uh, incapacitated. And what about what about you guys, too? I mean, how have you guys financed the operation and capitalized the business? So we have equity
1: in the business. We have raised about uh, about 20 million dollars overall in equity over and above that. We have made some accumulated profits over the years. So that's this is called our net worth. Of our business, right? Um, and using this net worth, we have borrowed. So, um, so overall, uh, uh, you know, our net worth—I mean, just in Indian rupee terms—currently is about two hundred and twenty crores, which is roughly uh, about uh, uh, you know uh, almost uh, 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 thirty million dollars, somewhere around $27, 28 million dollars. That's the amount of net worth we have. And uh, against this net worth, we have borrowed about a hundred million dollars. Uh, you know, overall. And we have used this pool of capital of both the net worth and the uh, borrowing to uh, uh, make loans uh, to our customers. So our portfolio are about 1,200 uh, crore or, or in Indian rupee terms, which is about uh, uh, $125, $130 million, which is funded by the uh, you know 100, $110 million of borrowing and about uh, uh, 20, $28 million of net worth
0: so in total how much how much have you financed uh, in loans is it about 400 million or how much have you financed
1: so the 400 million 450 million uh, is something that is all the loans we have made since 2008 okay you know the loans that we have made and repaid and made and repaid and repaid that the aggregate of all of that is about 450 million dollars right and but the current outstanding uh, of the loans uh, that uh, we have made totally Will be about one hundred and thirty million dollars. What is outstanding as of now? Of four hundred uh, and twenty-five thousand borrowers, and one hundred and thirty million. Yes. Okay.
0: Now, now for you guys, you've been able to scale the operation nicely. You have over two thousand employees in one hundred and forty-two branches. How has it been to the uh, journey of scaling this business on the on the human capital side? So this
1: business is a people-centric business. Uh, you know while there's a very strong technology element to this. Uh, you know, the the contact with the borrowers is primarily with our team. So we have each of our branches have 10 employees uh, who are meeting and closely engaging with around 4,000 borrowers. So 4,000 borrowers are in touch with these 10 employees practically. uh, And, uh, you know, they are practically meeting them very often as well uh, to do collection activity and they are sourcing loans. So the same, same team does both the loan sourcing as well as the loan collection uh and and this uh, uh you know so so it, it's very important to have the right type of employees uh you know our employees are also very similar to prof- in profile to our customers uh who are with a very basic high school education uh you know and with no college education uh, who people who speak local languages who come from the same community as our borrowers so even our employees come from a household that are earning between, I would say, $100 to $400 a month. Uh, And so uh, from a segment that's very similar to our customers. So we have a very rigorous uh, training uh, uh, strategy and a training process uh, that to put them into training and to make sure that they have all the skills that they need to do uh, customer engagement, customer assessment, credit assessment, uh, and and all the activities that are associated with our process and how they use our technology. So we train them very rigorously. We also provide very good career progress for them. This is something that we very, do very well. Uh, our values are called people first. This is our values, uh, which means we, we whatever we build, we build with keeping our people at the front and center of our business. So you will find in our company a very vast majority of people who have been with us, and joined us at entry level, and who have scaled up their career for uh, multiple uh, promotions and have become middle management and senior management uh, staff. Uh, So we are very focused on that. Uh, We are what is called a great place to work certified company four times in a row. Uh, You know, there's an institution that certifies human resources practices in companies, uh, you know, uh, across the world and in in India as well. And we have their certification. So we are very focused on on making sure that Swasti is a great workplace uh, and, and uh, Swasti provides a fantastic uh, career progress opportunities to the, uh, our team members. Uh, so, yeah, so it's a, it's a very people intensive business and we are very focused uh, about make, maintaining our values uh, and culture uh, across all our branches and offices.
0: So imagine if you were to go to sleep tonight, Arun, and, and you wake up in a world where the vision of swasti is fully realized what does that world look like
1: our vision is to make sure that we fulfill the right to finance for everybody irrespective of their income right or their circumstances so just like you know we we, we take it for granted that if we have you know middle uh, you know if you look at Uh, anywhere in the developed world or say the affluent segments in even in a country like India uh, we take it for granted that we are all going to have access to finance Uh, this is just taken as something that is absolutely you know um, um, you know for granted Uh, but the reality is that for a vast majority of people uh, in India and in the rest of the world access to finance is not easily available at all Uh, you know maybe you and I uh, can get credit cards we can get you know, car loans to buy, uh, uh, you know, automobiles, we can get home loans, we can get business loans. But if a person is poor, uh, in in uh, in this case, I'm talking about people who are making say $200, $300 uh, per month income, right? Uh, these things can't be taken for granted. They are just not available. It's not that easy. Uh, it is also not economically viable for banks to service them. So there are, uh, uh, and also they are seen as vulnerable people who are not very good credit Uh, So for all of these reasons, uh, I would say that in in a country like India, there are at least 500, 600 million people who don't have access to finance, uh, you know, the way the rest of the population has. And and my goal uh, is to make sure that this problem is addressed and everybody, regardless of their income, should have access to finance and right to finance uh, as a matter of right. And uh, they should be able to access it that is proportionate to their income and their needs and their capacity uh, you know it may be small needs and small capacities uh, but we must be able to find uh, provide this to them so this is this is our vision and this is what we we want to accomplish
0: so obviously you know incredible vision here i want to talk about the past too with a lens of reflection if i was to put you into a time machine and i was to bring you back in time maybe to 2007 where you were thinking about giving up your career at the bank and starting something of your own imagine if You know, right after that meeting that you had with Susan and Michael Dale, which got you thinking, if you had the opportunity of having a chat with your younger self and giving that younger self one piece of advice before launching a business, what would that be and why, given what you know now?
1: So, uh, well, I would say that, you know, the biggest challenge that that younger person would face is in raising capital. Because, uh, you know, uh, he was getting into a capital-intensive business with absolutely no capital, right? So, uh, you know, personally, at that state, I didn't have access to any capital. Neither did I have capital of my own. Uh, But ultimately, the raw material for my business is money. Uh, And uh, uh, I got into it without, uh, you know, sort of uh, having a strong financial uh, position personally, uh, nor having access to uh, large institutional support. Uh, so i think uh, my advice would be to plan this a little better uh and uh, make sure that you get much larger resources and access to uh, uh you know capital uh secured earlier in the game uh, uh than uh, later so i think this has been one of our largest uh, biggest challenges over the years uh you know we have been ready to scale to much higher levels than we are today uh but throughout our journey uh, we have, uh, you know, kind of struggled, uh, you know, to raise uh, uh, as much capital as we wanted. Uh, of course, uh, we are on the verge of sort of resolving some of those challenges, but it's it's taken many, many years. Uh, you know, the industry itself has also been vulnerable, and it's been exposed to many big uh, catastrophic events, uh, you know, uh, most recent of which being COVID. And prior to that, uh, you know, certain uh, illegal regulatory uh uh, uh uh transition uh time in india so uh, uh, you know to navigate these sort of big challenges if you are in the business of uh, you know providing capital you need to have access to a lot of capital. yeah i think that's what i would say yeah
0: so for the people that are listening that would love to reach out and say hi what is the best way for them to do so
1: well uh look uh, you know uh, this is a commercial business so if if you are interested in exploring this further you know, however, you want to uh, engage or explore, we are always open. Um, you know, uh, if you want to come and see how we work, uh, visit any of our branches, look at our technology. Uh, you know, um, maybe work with us uh, or you know help us raise money. Uh, we are open to uh, you know any of these uh, uh, any of these engagements from from those who are uh, who have uh, interest to pursue this. Yeah.
0: Amazing. Well, hey, Arun, thank you so much for being on the Dealmaker Show today. It has been an honor to have you with us.
1: Yeah. Yeah, thank you. Thanks a lot and thank you for having me. And it's been fun having this discussion with you.
0: If you like the show, make sure that you hit that subscribe button. If you could leave a review as well, that would be fantastic. And if you got any value, either from this episode or from the show itself, share it with a friend. Perhaps they also appreciate it. So also remember that if you need any help,